Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. From the book of Revelation, don't get scared. I'm not going to go John Hagee on you. The book of Revelation chapter 3. Praise God. Book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. When you have it, you may say amen. Praise the Lord. Book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Do we have a church? Amen. The Bible reads as follows. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. I want to preach to you this morning under the theme, the open doors that no one can close. And I want to go to a story that we were all relatively familiar with, and it's the story of Joseph. Because to understand the purpose behind why God opens doors in our lives, we have to go to the understanding that we have been filled with purpose. How many of you have purpose? If you have purpose, you have an objective in life. You are not just a Christian. You are an executor of God's plan. You're not just in a religion. You are in a kingdom that God has put in your hands to manifest on this earth. Jesus told the disciples... The kingdom of God is among you. He gave them the access to manifest it here on earth. So when you have Holy Spirit in your life, when Jesus and you are connected and are one and he is the Lord of your life, he's calling the shots, uh, it's because you have a purpose that is your responsibility to fulfill. It is the devil's responsibility to try to oppose you at every turn. It is the devil's responsibility to try to make it difficult for you to reach your potential. Difficult for you to fulfill the will of God. And the will of God is not just something 
It's not just something that I have to be blind to. He's not asking me to, to come into a relationship with him where I'm going to fulfill his will and be blind and not know. And it'd and it be just a bunch of random things going on in my life. But if it's God, it's the will of God, I have to go with it. No, God gives you a clear path through his word and lets you understand the things that are part of his will for your life. He gives you that path through his word. And Joseph had a dream, and in that dream, the purpose and will of God for Joseph was revealed to him. In that dream, Joseph's life changed. In that dream, he was never the same. In that dream, Joseph was understood that he was chosen for something greater than what he currently was involved in. So when you come into a when you come into a recognition that you have a purpose, God has given you a dream. God has called you out. God has signaled you. That is a moment where your life will never be the same because the calling of God is a transformational call. It is a transformational call. When Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee and he saw three fishermen on a boat, they were frustrated. They weren't catching anything. He tells them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The first thing he does is he tells them, if you follow me, you won't be the same broke and frustrated fisherman. I'm going to make you something totally different. I'm going to transform your life. So understanding that moment that Joseph has that dream, his life was never the same. The moment where he dreams that his 11 brothers... His mom and his dad were going to bow before him. He was going to be superior to them. That moment was, that dream, that purpose changed Joseph's life forever. He was 17 years old. He shares it because when the calling of God in your life, there are people that might say, I know I have a calling to do something. I know God has called me to preach the gospel on the streets. Or God has called me into the prison ministry. Or God has called me to serve in the women's ministry. Or God has called me to serve the youth ministry. And you understand that that's your calling. You understand that that's what the Lord has, has created you for. That's what God has created you for. It is then when you understand that, that that calling is going to require for you to get up off of your, off of your uh, pew, for you to get out of your own way, for you to put everything else in, into its proper place and go towards that calling. It's like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I am, a, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, in reference to the law, Pharisee of Pharisees. I was, I was the pupil of, of the great Gamaliel. I was this, I was that. I accomplished this, I accomplished that. But I put everything behind me. I put everything as garbage so that I can continue reaching the call that has been placed over my life. 
Joseph was willing to do that. He shared his dream. He shared what the Lord had revealed to him because it was something that changed him. It was something that impacted him. He understood it. Even though his brothers didn't want to accept it. There's going to be people that don't want to accept that God is lifting you up but not them. There's going to be people that are not going to be in agreement with the fact that you are growing and they're just stuck. There's going to be people that aren't going to accept the fact that God is blessing you when they've been asking the Lord to bless them for years. Not everybody is going to accept, but God is not calling you to be accepted by everybody. God is calling you to manifest a purpose in your life. No matter who cares or no, no matter who cares to bless you or who cares to help you. No, I remember when I started leading worship in the Spanish mission three years ago. It was just me and my wife and an occasional person who would come and play the drums. But it was just me and my wife every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Every Sunday, every Sunday. Full setup, full breakdown, just me by myself, putting up speakers, throwing cables, connecting microphones. Driving Santos crazy, driving George crazy. I need this cable, I need that cable, I need this mic, I need that mic. They're going crazy. It was just, but then I started to say, you know what, Lord? I know that this is what you have called me to do. You have called me to serve and you have called me to worship. You have called me, this is what you have called me for. This is what, this is, because that's, that's when you can do it with peace. That's when you can do it with confidence. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much help you think you're lacking, if there's still a peace in what you're doing, if there's still a, a, a confidence and a trust that God is with you, even if you're doing it by yourself, that's when you know you're growing. That's when you know you're doing the right thing. That's, you, that's when you know you're not just doing a good thing, but you're doing a God thing. Because a lot of times we want to get caught up in good things, but they're not God things. And those good things are burdening us, and we're, and we're trying to do our best. But at the end of the day, when it all said and done, it falls apart, and we leave it, and no one else is there to pick it back up. And now we're leaving, a, a, now we're leaving something else the pastor has to deal with because it was a good thing. It wasn't God's thing in your life. Because the God things in your life will never fail. They will never fall. They will never be destroyed. They will grow. Oh, no matter what. So, so we were, we, my wife and I knew we were doing a God thing. A God thing. And then I understood why I learned how to do sound since I was 13 years old. <laughs> then I understood why I learned how to put, I learned how to connect speakers and EQ a mixer and all this other stuff. I learned how to do that when I was 13 years old. I was like, what am I? Uh, I don't think I'm going to be doing this my whole life. But 15, 16, 17 years later, I'm still being able to serve in that capacity. Not just in this church, but in other churches that need someone to come. And I go and I play and all the sound is all messed up and it's all that. Listen, would you mind if I fix this for you? And there's the blessing for that place too. But what I want to say is, so we were doing it alone for, for, for so long. And I start to say, Lord, I know you're going to provide people. 
that are not just going to come and be part of Central and serve Central, but you're going to put them at my side. They're going to give me a hand. They're going to they're alleviate this burden for me. And they're going to be people that you bring, not people that, not people that force their way in. Not people that I try to force them in. Because sometimes you need that help. Sometimes you feel that loneliness. And you try to force the wrong people by your side. And you force the wrong friends by your side. But no, I said, I, I, I wanted the Lord to put the right people by my side. And, with, and, and in the past year... In the past year, if you go over to the Spanish mission right now on a Sunday morning, you're going to see a full worship team in the Spanish mission. You're going to see a drummer, a guitar player. You're going to see four or five singers. We have a rotation. Why? Because when you're called to do something, when you're called to do something and you connect yourself with that purpose, Joseph was connected with his purpose. That's why when his brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, they threw him in a cistern. The Ishmaelites sell him to Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, he's unjustly accused. He goes to prison. And now in prison, is, that's like the lowest of the low. But even in prison, what got Joseph into trouble is still manifesting during the trouble. Because it was a dream. It was a dream that made this mess in Joseph's life. But now it's a dream that's going to take him out of that mess and is going to launch him to his purpose. Because Joseph wasn't just someone who's connect, who was connected to his dream while he was asleep. There's, there's people that have dreams. You have a dream to be a doctor. Or you have a dream to be a lawyer. You have a dream to be a pastor. You have a dream to go to Africa or go to Asia, go to the Dominican Republic or go to South, Central or South America or the Caribbean. You, you have a dream to go out and preach the gospel and serve in the kingdom of God. You have that dream. God has given it to you over and over again. But the problem is for many of us, the only relationship, the only time that we're, the only time that we're dreaming is when we're sleeping. No, you have, that dream needs to become part of your lifestyle. That dream needs to be, become part of your prayer life. That dream needs to be, become part of what you're serving in right now. I remember when God called me to preach, Pastor Amy, I was a young thug. Okay, I'm just gonna say it just like that, so you understand me. I used to have the baggy pants. I used to, cause my grandma, she she's old school, okay, and she 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 would try to regulate what I wore to school. She would make sure that I wasn't looking like no thug, but I wanted to dress like a thug, you know. And I went to Bracco, so you know. Um, so when I when I was when I was younger, I would I would take a change of thug clothes in my book bag, and when I got to school, I would change into those thug clothes. You know, I would put the real baggy pants on and the real long shirt and the chain and the, and the hat, and you know, I would, you know what I'm saying? You know, when I, got, when I got my license, you know, the driver's seat was all the way back, you know, 
You know, I had the reggae on and the rap music and, and the G unit and the 50 Cent and everything like that. Because I, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, any, I didn't know the Lord was calling me. I was just going to church because that's this, that's what I was raised in doing is in going to church and playing the piano and doing this and doing that. And yeah, there were there were spurts, there were glimpses, there were moments where the Lord would speak to me, and moments where I would where I would receive the Holy Spirit, and moments where where all this other stuff. But I, I wasn't committed. I wasn't serious about it. I was playing with it. So when God finally made me tighten up, when finally the Lord made me tighten up after a car accident that I had coming down Pembroke Road, I got hit by a drunk driver on Pembroke Road. It was raining. Kayla was pregnant with Jayla. But I had, I had dropped her off and I was coming from dropping her off. Thank God. I was coming from dropping her off, driving down Pembroke Road. I get hit by a drunk driver. I, I skip, my car turns over, skip, skips over the, the sidewalk, hits a tree, and ends up on the other side of the road. Car was totaled. It was one of those stud cars, you know, the little Hondas? <laughs> the Honda Accords? You remember the Honda Accords? You, come on, y'all Puerto Ricans remember the Honda Accords. <laughs> Don't shake your head, man. You remember the little Hondas, the stick shift, with, you know. If you go down Pembroke Road and you see a tree on the right-hand side, you're coming from, and you're coming from Pembroke this way on Pembroke Road, and you look on your right-hand side, right after Jennings Street, you'll see a tree that doesn't have, that has a big spot where it doesn't have any bark. That's the tree I hit. Still don't have no bark. I guess it doesn't grow back. So I got into this car accident. I didn't have my seatbelt on. Okay. As soon as that car hits me, I don't have my seatbelt on. I literally, I'm, I'm before God and before you. I'm, I'm on this pulpit. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I get hit by this car, this drunk driver, and I feel two arms grab me right here and pinch me to the, to the seat that was all the way back because I was a thug and I was driving like this. Pinch me to the seat. I stood paralyzed, safer than a seatbelt. The car jumps the curb, hits the tree, rolls over, falls on the other side, and I end up like this. I open the door and walk out of the car. Call the, someone called the cops. And the cop was like, how are you? You didn't have your seatbelt on? I said, no. He said, how are you still alive? The car was totaled. The front end was totally in, almost in the, into the driver's seat. It was, it was an experience that changed my life. But here's why I'm saying this to say this. I, I already kind of jokingly told you how I would dress and how I would act and everything. When I understood that I had a purpose to preach, God called me. The first thing that I did was I changed the way I dressed. I went to Hackman's and bought, I, and bought a Bible dictionary and I bought a Bible. I made a, I made a study room in my house. I started to do the things, even though I had 
no itinerary, even though I wasn't a pastor, even though I wasn't preaching anywhere, but I started to do the things that were connecting me to my calling. I started to do the things that I needed to do to prepare for what God had impacted me with. He said, you're going to preach to the nations. So I start, I, my whole life changed. And then you know where I started to preach? It wasn't on a pulpit, in a stadium, in an arena, in another country. My, my beginnings as a preacher was in home services, street corners, and prisons. Home services, street corners, and prisons. And you know, Joseph had that same experience. David had that same experience. When you are connected to that dream, when you're connected and it's manifesting in your life, God is speaking it to you. God is not allowing you to forget about it. That is when you start to do the things you have to do. You can't just wait for the moment. You can't just wait for Pastor Amy or Pastor Cole or a pastor from another church or an evangelist here or an evangelist there to come and say, uh, you have the calling of this and that. Would you like to serve in this ministry? No, you have to start making the necessary moves that you understand are connecting you to the purpose of God in your life. Because at any given moment, God is going to pick your number. It's like going to a laundromat and he gives you a number. Or going to a deli and you pick a number. And you ain't going to ask for your ham, bologna, and cheese until that number is called. That's how it is when God calls you. He gives you a number. And according to how you're preparing yourself, to how you're allowing that, the, the, the purpose of God to impress upon your life, that's when that number is going to be called. So Joseph's number was called. But with every, with every recognition of purpose, you have to recognize that you're going to have opposition. Opposition does not come for people who are sitting on their hands. I can take it off now. Opposition does not come for, for, for people who are sitting on their hands. I always say this. If the devil isn't attacking you, you have a problem. If the devil's not attacking your family, it's because you're doing something that's pleasing him. If you're... If, if you're, not in the, if you're not in the middle uh, of a struggle with things that, en that the enemy is trying to sow in your life, then, then something, something that you're doing is, is keeping him from, from making you make a change. Because the devil knows that as soon as he starts to attack you, you're going to cry out to God. God is going to reveal himself and reveal what's going on. God's going to speak to you and you're going to fix the things you need to fix. See, the devil doesn't want that. But everyone who has a purpose, anytime there is destiny in you, there's going to be opposition. The enemy knows he cannot stop you. He knows that if God spoke a word over your life, that word is going to come to pass. He knows that if God spoke a word over your marriage, that there will not be divorce, that there will not be separation, that God is going to restore and God is going to lift you up. He knows he cannot come against that word. He cannot stop that word from fulfilling itself. He knows that if God called you to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to go and spread the good news of the gospel, there is nothing he can do to stop you. 
nothing he can do to stop you. He's going to try to slow you down. He's going to try to bring you to a point where you veer off. Where you veer off. But he knows he cannot stop the word of God from being fulfilled in your life. Joseph's dream was his destiny. And every time the enemy sees that you have connected to your purpose and to the will of God in your life, he will rise up to oppose you. Before every miracle, there's a mountain. Before every miracle, there's a mountain. Just ask the lame man that for 38 years he was at the pool of Bethesda. And one time a year an angel would come and shake the waters. And when the angel would shake the waters, all of the, all of the sick would come. And they would bathe in the pool of Bethesda and they would receive their healing. But this man was too lame. He could not move. He could not walk. And he could not make it when that angel would stir the waters. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, Jesus says, what do you need? He starts to tell him about why he can't receive his miracle. He's talking about the mountain instead of asking for the miracle. Because when, when you're facing that opposition, you're facing that mountain, and you don't understand that with every, with every encounter of opposition, God opens a door. With every encounter of opposition, God opens a door. But if you, you don't see the door, if you don't understand the door is there, if you don't understand that God is giving you a way out, and, and you only look at the mountain, you only look at the opposition, Jesus comes and he says, what do you need? So Jesus is the door that this man needs. Jesus is the door that he needs. He doesn't need the angel. He doesn't need the waters. He can't get there. Sometimes you want your miracle to come through a source where God is simply saying, it's not going to come from there. It's not going to come from there. That's why he says to the prophet, it's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Because sometimes we want to force our way into our miracle. And we want to say that we have this crazy faith. But nothing happens. It's not happening because God wants the miracle to happen through the door that he already placed in your life for, that, for you to walk in through and receive that miracle. I remember the woman with the issue of blood. She had the obstacle that she could not be amongst the people. She had the mountain and the opposition that she was, uh, she was unclean and had to be isolated. She had the opposition and the obstacle that she had wasted all her money on doctors. She had wasted all her money and all her resources trying to cure this disease that she had, this issue of blood. And when she finally heard that Jesus was just a few feet away, that Jesus had, she couldn't come to him, but Jesus had come to her. She was just a few feet away. She, was, she had heard that he can heal. She had heard that he raised the dead. So her faith was activated. And even though there was a mountain between her and her miracle, 
She knew that if she knew that her miracle wasn't going to come from the natural. Her miracle had to be stirred up by her faith. Her miracle had to be stirred up by her taking action and going to Jesus if I can only touch the hem of his garment. Now, you know, this this is something that the Lord taught me a while ago. See, um, if I'm wearing this, if, if, if you're wearing this, Nick, let's say this is his hem. <laughs> it has my boogies, I'm sorry. <laughs> she touches the border, the talit. It's hanging from the, ma- from the mantle. It's hanging from it. It's not like she touched his arm. You know, I have a fitted shirt on, so if you touch any part of my clothes, I'm going to feel it. She touched the hem. Do you feel that? So how can he feel a touch if she's touching something that's not connected to his body? She didn't say, I got to touch his toes or his ankle. Or I want to touch his beard. Or I want to touch his hand. I, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. See... She's already, she's already looking toward the supernatural. Because if she was looking toward the natural, she would want him to touch her. If she was looking at it through the natural, she would want to touch a part of his body. Or she would want to cry out and make a scene and say, Lord, I'm here, heal me. No, but she said, my faith is at a point where if I can just touch the outermost part of where he is, if I can just get to the edge, I know that I would be healed. And when she touches the hem of his garment, he feels it. How does he feel? A touch that's not on his body. How does he feel a touch that's not on his body when he's being touched by a whole multitude of people? He's being touched. That was like the walking dead of sick people. Have you ever seen the walking dead when they put the the zombie guts on them and they walk amongst the the zombies? Oh, preacher, how are you going to be watching them shows? You know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. I don't want to get judged. (laughs) Season eight starting in about a week. (laughs) So he's being pressed on by a multitude of sick people, but he feels a touch that's not even on his body. That's because... There is a door that, there was a door that was open for this woman to receive her miracle. A door that no man can close. Peter tried to close it. Oh, Jesus. Peter tried to close it when he says, but Jesus, everybody is touching you. And you say, who has touched you? When you go through the right door, it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. It doesn't matter who wants it to happen or who doesn't want it to happen. When you go through the door that God has opened for you to get out of that situation, you're going to come out with a supernatural experience. She was healed because she shifted from the natural to the supernatural. She understood that she needed to raise her level of belief in Christ. One of the doors 
that God opens that no man can close is the door of faith. It's the door of faith. That door, see, the enemy wants to shut it in the world. That's why we have a, a, we have a government that's taking God out of schools. We have a government that wants to, that wants to kill babies. We have a government that's doing all, all, all of the shady, uh, evil things, ma malicious things that, that, you, that you see on the news. It's because they want to close the door of faith. Praise the Lord. Economists say, you know, supposedly smart people that are supposed to put all these numbers together. They say that by 2035, there will be no religion in the world. There will be no Christianity. There will be no, there will be no Christianity. There will be no, people are just going to believe what they want to believe and there's not going to be anything. But you see, there's a door that Jesus said would never be able to prevail, prevail against the church. So it doesn't matter what the government statistics try to say. That door is not going to be open. And he said, he said, upon this rock I have built my church. And the doors of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail. So it doesn't matter. The, the, it, it's, so, it's so interesting that the more the church is persecuted, the more the church is, 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 is judged, the more the church goes through hardships and troubled times, the more it grows. The more we preach, the more souls we reach, the more God moves, the more his power is manifested. So the, the door of faith, no man can close it. Joseph experienced opposition, but he also experienced doors opening. And the doors that opened, the first one was the door of favor. Genesis 39 and 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful and favorable man. Favor was opened to Joseph in the middle of his opposition. When you look at David, how much opposition did David not go through? But yet Psalm 23 is a psalm of favor. Psalm 23 is a psalm of favor and it even, it, it even confesses to opposition. You prepareth a table in the presence of my enemies. But on that table, I'm sitting down. They're chastising me. They're talking behind my back. They're putting stuff on social media. I might be sitting at that table in the midst of my enemies. But now, you're anointing me. And my cup is overflowing. You got to understand that it doesn't matter what your enemies are trying to do. The, the, the best thing that you can do to your enemies is show them that you're living in overflow. Oh, come on, somebody. The best thing you can do to your enemies is showing them that the time and the effort and the investment of their lives that they're putting in trying to make your life miserable is not working. You, you, you make them feel so, so dumb that they choose somebody else to go and bother. They choose somebody else to go and bother. See, because sometimes we do, we have, those, we have those Christian bullies in the church. 
And, and But you see, see, this is where the turn the other cheek comes into place. Because out in the world, you get a bully until you knock his behind <laughs> out. He ain't going to leave you alone. But here with the spiritual bullies, with the Christian bullies, you got to show them that, man, they nagging you and they're talking about you. And she's trying to, she's trying to kick it to your husband. And, and he's trying to get you to drink again. And, and all this is happening. These are, your, these are enemies that the enemy has placed in your path to try to make you fall. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The reason why it's God who prepares it is because he's going to prepare the manifestation to those enemies that he is with you and that you're living in overflow. When they see that all of their hard work to mess your marriage up, all of their hard work to mess up your mindset, all of their hard work to try and get you to, to cry and try and get you to falter, it's not working. I said it on Wednesday. I said there's people right now from, you know, my past, that they can't stand me, and they're Christians. I said, man, you know why they can't stand me? Because when they see me, and they see this, this, this young man. <laughs> they see this young man who has committed his life to the Lord. Who even though when they said I, I was a nobody, I was a nothing. I didn't have no calling. I didn't have no ministry. I was always going to be a bench warmer. When they see, man, that two crazy, experienced, anointed white pastors decided to trust this broke Puerto Rican. That's my Stephen A. Smith voice. Praise the Lord. There's always a door of favor. God is going to, he's going to bring you to the path of favor in the midst of your opposition. I love what happens with David. I'm almost finished because after this, I'm getting into Revelation 3 for two minutes and we're done. So I love what happens with David. But there's one thing I want you to see in David. Since ever, from the moment that Samuel came and comes and anoints him with the horn of oil, okay? David was pastoring the sheep of his father. When he was just a mere pastor, when he was just a mere pastor, writing psalms and praising God and playing the harp, when he was just a mere pastor, his opposition, his enemies were a bear, a lion. He would... He was able to overcome those enemies. Once he's anointed, he comes, to the, he comes into the heat of battle. And now his enemy is Goliath. A nine-foot monster of a man who everybody's afraid of. One of the elite armies in the world at that time was scared of this one giant. But yet now he's carrying an anointing. That is allowing him to face that giant. And he has the confidence to say, I'm going to kill you, fool. <laughs> so he goes from bears and lions to Goliath. Beats Goliath. And now, who's his enemy? The king of Israel. 
So now it's, it's not a lion, it's not a bear. It's not an it's, it's uncircumcised heathen of a giant. Now it is the king, the anointed king of Israel. What happens there? God gives him the victory. God opens the door for him to receive victory. Uh, even even through, the, through the opposition of the king of Israel. And now he's the king. And now his greatest enemy is himself. The enemy will always rise his opposition in your life according to the rise of your anointing. I'm going to say it again. As your anointing rises, your enemies are going to rise as well. Don't think that you're going to reach another level, another dimension of relationship with Christ. Another dimension of manifestation of, of the anointing of Christ. And the devil is going to keep on trying to get you with the things he got you when you were first converted. No, he's going to raise the, he's going to raise the opposition as you raise your anointing. But here's the thing. The anointing will always be able to overpower the opposition. The anointing will always give you the victory over the attack. The problem is uh, that you're not seeing the door that God has already opened in the middle of your storm because you're too worried about what's going on around you. But God says, I have set a door before you. A door is before you. It's a door of growth. Genesis chapter 49, Joseph is a fruitful bowl, fruitful by a well. His branches run over the wall. Even in prophesying over Joseph, Jacob is acknowledging the mountain. He's acknowledging the walls. He's acknowledging the barriers that had been put before his son. But he's saying, no matter the size of the wall, Joseph has been fruitful and his branches have run over the wall. Nothing has been able to stop him. And as you understand why opposition is so prevalent in your life. Man, I try to get up and do God's will, but something goes on. Man, I try to get ready to go to church, man, but something goes on. Man, I was, I had told Pastor Cole this year I was going to get involved in this ministry or get involved in that. I wanted to sign up for this or I wanted to sign up, but something comes and happens. Just because things happen that appear to be barriers between you and your purpose doesn't mean you have to allow them to stop you. This is what was happening in the church of Philadelphia. Jesus speaks to these seven churches in Asia Minor. He speaks to the pastors of these seven churches in Asia Minor. And these seven churches, six of them were kind of messing up. They were doing some good things, but they were also allowing some not so good things to happen within their body. But the church of Philadelphia is a church that when Jesus speaks to them, he's not speaking in a corrective voice. There is nothing he's trying to correct. He's only coming to encourage and declare promise. 
He's reaffirming to the church that he is the authority of it. When you have a church where the pastors understand that the authority of the church is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is the one who has the keys to all the doors. So Jesus is reaffirming to the church that he is the authority. That he is sitting on the throne of David. An everlasting throne. An unoverthrowable throne. He tells them, I have placed, I have placed an open door before you. The door is not at the end of the path. The door is not two rights, a left, another two rights, one mile down the road. You wait and then you see it after the train goes by. No. He says the door has been placed before you. It's right in front of you. And it is a door that if God opened it, no man can close it. It is a door that if God opened it, no opposition can keep you from walking through it. There are people here that have come and they're asking God for a way out. They're asking God for a way to get better, for, for things to go on the up and up. And God is telling you, I have set a door before you. And even though the devil has tried to tell you it's closed, I have opened it. And if I opened it, no one can close it. Religion can't close it. The devil can't close it. Sickness can't close it. You want to do ministry? There's a door open set before you. You want to get involved and serve in the kingdom? There's a door open set before you. Your enemies may be before you. You may have mountains before you. You might be sick in your body, but the door is, he also put a door there. There's a door. There's a door. Wow. If there's a door, that means that this particular trial that I'm going through was designed for me to be able to get out. He opens, he opened the door for this church and he says, it's before you. He says, if I open the door, he says, I open the door that no one can close. I, because you have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. In the greatest moment of opposition for this church, look at what Christ's response was. He didn't come and say, I'm going to slay the giants for you. I'm going to rebuke the devil for you. No, he says... There's a door. See, you're asking, you're asking God to slay this and rebuke that and change the heart of this person or do or give you this much money. You're asking God for specific things and all that is good, but you need to channel all of that need that you have and, and tell God, God, where's the door? Where's the door? If I'm going through this struggle in my marriage uh, and we're talking about separation and we're sleeping in separate rooms. If I'm going through this struggle with my daughter, she's rebellious and receiving influences. If I'm going through this struggle in my job, if I'm, if I'm in a transition and don't know where to go, God, I don't need you to fix it all. I just need you to tell me where the door is. Where's the door, God? 
And that's when he's going to come and say, it's right in front of you. What you mean it's right in front of me? You've been so busy looking at the struggle. You've been so busy trying to carry the burden on your own. You've been so busy visiting doctors. But the door is in front of you. And it is open and will never close. It's open and it will never close. So no matter the opposition, no matter the mountain that can be in front of you, when you, when, when you see a mountain, you see the 12 spies of Israel, they went to look at the land, and they came back with the report saying, well, there's giants, there's walls, and there's an army. So Moses, we ain't going to be able to. Nah. These tents are nice. I got AC in mine. He got cable, but we good. Right here where we are. Right here in the desert. Why we got to go mess with these giants, man? Nah. You see? He says, they, 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 but they start by saying, yeah, it's fruitful. It has grapes. It has grapes. It has fertile land. But we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers. There was a message a long time from a very anointed preacher that said grasshoppers don't eat grapes. If you see yourself as not being able to overcome that opposition, if you see yourself as someone who cannot overcome that temptation, who cannot overcome that problem, then you're always going to, you're always going to uh, uh, not allow the power that is in you to be manifest. You're, not gonna, you're never going to see that door because you think you're a grasshopper. Because you think you're too small. Because you think you don't have the strength. But God is telling this church, Jesus is telling this church, I have set that door before you. So this afternoon, God is telling you, that problem that you're going through in your marriage, that problem that you're going through in your, in your household, that problem that you're going through with your children, that problem that you're going through with your health, that opposition that the enemy has risen up in your life, there's a door right in front of you. And it's open. It's open. You just, you just don't know how to take that step because your faith ain't there yet. You just don't know how to take that step because you're still connected to things that are keeping you in the struggle. But God wants you to understand that as soon as you walk through that door, your struggle is over. Can you say amen? As soon as you see that he opened and no one can close. I finish with this. He says... I know all the things you do. He's saying, I, know, I see your struggle, but I also see your faithfulness. I see, I see the attack of the enemy, but I also see the anointing. I see the things that are going on around you, but I also see how you remain confident in me. So this is where he says, this is where he says, when I open the door, no man can close it. What is the door that's open in your life? That way out. Sometimes we don't want to do it because we just, we got used to the struggle. Like some lady that wanted, needed healing. When, the, when my, my, my friend comes and he tries to pray for her, he says, what you need? What you need prayer for? He says, listen, I'm sick. I have back issues. And I, I just want the prayer, but don't, don't pray for God to heal me. Because if he heals me, they're going to take away my social security. 
This is a true story. This lady didn't want to get healed because she didn't want to go to work. There are people that get used to the struggle. There are people that the resources they have, the limited little resources they have in their struggle have become enough. And, and, and their faith has no chance. Their faith, they don't, they're, they're not interested. And the door is open there. Just like it's open for you. So you just need to tell God, show me. Show me. I'm here to tell you this morning that whatever situation you're going through, whatever is pulling you back, whatever's not letting you move forward, God has set an open door in front of you. Stand to your feet with me. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, your people have received your word. Your people, Lord, have been impacted and touched by it. I pray in Jesus' name right now, God, that, that you turn every negative situation around today. Father, that whatever we have come into, Father, into this service this morning, Father, that you turn it around. Father, that we leave, uh, that we leave, Father, with, with, that, with that understanding that the door is open, Lord. So I declare that this week uh, people are going to walk through that open door. That this week struggles are going to be over. That this week healings are going to happen. That this week there's going to be restoration in homes, restoration in households. I declare in Jesus' mighty name. Father, that, that door will never be closed. That door that you opened for this church to expand will never be closed. That door that you opened for, for your presence to move in this house will never be closed. And it will move in every household that is part of this ministry, part of this family. In Jesus' name, Father. Father, I pray for people who come sick. I pray, God, that that door of healing would be a door they walk through right now, that they receive a touch in their bodies in Jesus' name, and they leave made whole by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. I make an altar call once again. Anyone here who needs to recommit their life to the Lord, who needs to be made whole with God, you need your relationship restored with the Father. The door is open for you right now. That door of salvation will never be closed. No matter what you're into, that door of salvation will never be closed. It's open right now for you to make the decision. And I want to pray for anyone who's in a struggle and just needs a push and you need a word and you need for God to show you that door. It's before me, God, but I don't see it. Show it to me. It's open. No one can close it. I want to pray for you. The altar is open. I'm not going to be long in this calling, but I do. I feel it in the, in the atmosphere that there are people that they just don't know what to do with their struggle. They don't know what to do with their burden. They don't know what to do with their problem. They don't know what to do with their difficult situation. But God is telling you, I'm going to show you how to get out. Blessed is the name of Jesus. Blessed is the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Would you just worship the Lord for a few moments while I pray for these folks? Blessed is the name of God. We worship you, Jesus.
I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.